Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Swalcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we check our fanny pack for our NRA membership card as we shoot the breeze over coffee and grits. Yep, this ain't our first rodeo. Steadfast up the trend as they say Europe is so 2022. They're looking to emulate Mick Dundee and into the US market. That's not a premium. This is a premium. As Mick's sidekick Wally famously said, I don't mean to put down your Black Widow spider, but it's rumored that the IAG CFO can kill a broker in eight seconds just by looking at him. And we get to the bottom of a strange personal injury case where a driver collided with a deer. Apparently, the animal was blind, but the insurer had no idea. Oh, I love that one. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalist Benice Han, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Welcome back, Terry. Thank you, Andrew. Although not really back, you're mixing it up with the brokers at NEBA. How is it? It's been a very, very interesting conference, I think. The NEBA conference usually is because you, you tend to focus on not just specific business stuff, but, a, but a, a bit wider picture. So, yes, it has been interesting. Excellent. And good morning, John. Hello. You're there with Terry. Is he behaving? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So far, anyway. <laughs> I mean... Uh, that voice isn't, isn't that, that convincing. And are you behaving, John? Oh, very much so. Yes, we're uh, we're doing our best to you know find out all the all the news and all the views that are out there at this conference. It's been really good so far. Right, I'm not convinced. Hello, Benice. Hi, Andrew. Benice is our resident crocodile Dundee. Do you think they're telling the truth? Fifty-fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Hedging my best. <laughs> Very good. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. It seems like our recent podcasts have had a distinctly international flavour. They have, haven't they? And yet still no international travel for you. <laughs> no, I'm making it to Sydney, so that's exciting. Well, Wendy, Steadfast have been saying for a while that they're looking to enter the US market. What have they announced? Well, they've bought a, a US broking network called um, ISU Group for 55 million US dollars. So it's a privately run company based in South Carolina. It's got more than 220 network members across 40 states. It doesn't have equity in those members. It provides services to them. And Robert Kelly says uh, Steadfast has been investigating investigating options in the US over the past five, I think, five years. And it's really been a focus over the the, the last 18 months. Um, and ISU has uh, similarities to the network here. It's um, a good cultural fit. And while it's certainly not the largest acquisition Steadfast has ever made in terms of dollar value, he says it, it could be the biggest in terms of potential. Do you think this is a good decision by Steadfast, Terry, or are there risks involved? There's always risks in, in any venture, really, Andrew, but Steadfast has been researching this expansion for years. I guess the advantage is that their ambitions are focused on something they've already been successful at in Australia, which is building broker networks and providing really good services like IT, the, the sort of things that really matter to brokers. They can expand from there in pretty much any direction. It's, it's a very, very clever buy. The only unknowable risk I can think of is that each one of those United States has its own insurance regulator. Sometimes they're they're actually elected, which you know could be a problem down the road. But really, I wouldn't think that it, uh, it it'd be anything major. All in all, I think it's a really smart move by Steadfast, and and it's also a deal that's profitable from the get go. So really good move. 
Well, IAG has also been looking overseas, but part of their search for their new CFO. Who have they appointed, Wendy? Well, they've appointed uh, William McDonnell. He's based in London and will move to Sydney and takes up the CFO role from December 11. He was with General Insurer Royal and Sun Alliance for 15 years, including as Group Chief Risk Officer. And he's got 25 experience in insurance and finance and related areas. In the last two years, he's been a... um, driving force behind the uh, Integrity Council for the Voluntary Carbon Market and its Chief Operating Officer. And separate to that, he was a founder member of the Bank of England's Climate Financial Risk Forum and a member of the Cambridge University Climate Wise Council. And in terms of education background, his LinkedIn shows he went to Eton and has a BA in Classics from Oxford. The new CFO has a lot of experience with climate-related issues, John. Do you think this will assist IAG? Yes, I think definitely will. Um, he's obviously a very educated man, as, as Wendy points out, Eton and Oxford. But looking at his experience as well, you can see he's really he's really built up a lot of expertise in climate and climate risks. To create and chair RSA's ESG committee, found a member of the Bank of England's Climate Financial Risk Forum, all those things that Wendy listed off there. It was also before IAG announced this appointment, COO at the UK-based Voluntary Carbon Market, which was involved in setting standards for carbon credits. You know, some people might say, well, how how much is this guy going to know about the local market? But these are global issues, aren't they? And they're really significant issues that that are going to have a, a major impact on the financial situation of, of our major insurers. So, I think he's coming in with with an awful lot of relevant experience there. Well, Bernice, we've said before that the Bureau of Meteorology has declared El Nino. What are they now saying about its influence on cyclones this summer? Yeah, the Bureau has been very busy, as we can see. So um, they released the 2023-24 cyclone outlook. So basically, um, the Bureau is saying that the current El Nino and also the positive Indian Ocean dipole events, they're going to impact the number and timing of um, the cyclones uh, that we can expect. So basically, we can expect an 80% chance of fewer than average cyclones between November and April. That is when cyclone season ends. So on average, the Australian region has around 11 tropical storms and four will make landfall basically across the coast. So and timing wise, the first coastal crossing can occur as late as mid-January and in a, in a non-El Nino year, the first coastal crossing usually happens in early Jan or late December. So that's the good news, I guess. But the Bureau has reminded us that we still need to be prepared because Australia has never had a season without at least one tropical cyclone crossing the coast since reliable records started in the early 1970s. John, cyclones and natural catastrophes are causing rising premiums around Australia. Does there need to be better comparison websites for consumers so they can shop around more easily? Yeah, well, this gets raised quite regularly, doesn't it? There are these comparison websites in in the UK that that offer the ability to compare prices on home insurance and motor. But here we don't really have them. They do exist, but all of the major players or most of the major players refuse to take part. So those comparison websites that we do have are not really that useful because you're not comparing the, the, the major players. So yeah, from time to time it gets raised, you know, would, would this help consumers to compare prices and would it increase competition to push prices down? And we do have a problem with home insurance affordability at the moment, as you know, um, the recent Actuaries Institute report that said premiums have gone up 28% on average 
which is the steepest rise for two decades. But yeah, the industry has always said, no, this this wouldn't be the answer. For the most part, the industry says that comparison websites encourage uh, focus on price at the expense of uh, the quality of coverage. And, you know, consumer groups, for the most part, agree because, you know, you're not really comparing apples with apples either. So insurance offerings can differ quite a lot. But what they do say is if more standardization comes in, which the government's looking at at the moment, then you could get a, a, a comparison website going. I think ultimately the problem with home insurance here is that the issue isn't with high insurer profits or a lack of competition, it's with the underlying risk. Um, we know that premiums have gone up, but insurers are still not making money on home insurance. So that is where the problem is, not, not with a lack of competition. Consumer groups and insurers agreeing. I never thought I'd hear those words. Terry, there's been plenty of insurer resistance in the past to comparison websites. Do you think anything is likely to change on that? Uh, I doubt it. Comparison sites killed the high street broker in the UK within a couple of years. And when they first started up here, the big insurers were adamant that they would not share their data with the comparison sites. And, you know, look, why should they? This isn't like, you know, you read a car magazine to to compare five different kinds of SUV, for example, because the customers are all very, very different and the, the risks are very, very different in insurance. The comparison sites earn their money the same way brokers do through commissions, so that raises a whole heap of questions about their, their true value to consumers. They are involved in the great game of personal lines insurance and they'd be competing with insurers who actually have to carry the risks so all that aside, I agree it would be useful to have a non-commercial comparison sites and standard definitions of basic products, but this isn't utopia. It's certainly not the world we live in. Uh, I, I just don't think that the comparison sites are the solution to the problem. Well, finally, Bernice, it's the story I've been waiting for three years for. You've reported on a personal injury commission dispute where a driver swerved to avoid colliding with a deer. What are the issues here? Yeah, it's an interesting case, this one here. I mean, the key question is who can the driver sue? It's a no-fault accident. So he he sustained catastrophic injuries in 2021. And you know, he's been getting um, statutory benefit payments from QBE and the payments were going to end after 104 weeks, which is the maximum allowed under uh, New South Wales motor accident laws, unless the injury is the subject of a pending claim for damages. So he, he lodged an application with QBE for damages uh, under common laws that was rejected and he took his case with the Personal Injury Commission. So the commission was very, very clear that he has to establish he, that he had a pending claim for damages. So if he had succeeded, he, he, the benefit payments would continue until the damages claim was resolved. But who can he sue in this case? Um, it was a no-fault accident. So as the commission sees it, there's no one to sue. So he can't possibly establish a claim for negligence against himself. So that's it. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel. Wendy Pugh, Bernice Han, John Deeks and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.